The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Well, church family, if you go ahead and have a seat, please. And once again, pick up your Bibles. That's you too, Jordan. Pick it up. All right. Chapter 25 is where we will be this morning, as was read from. Thank you, Eric, Daylene, and Mikkel this morning for leading us in song. All right. Chapter 25 of Genesis. Good morning. All right. You know I need to hear it. Um, Would you join me one more time in prayer this morning before we get started? And Father, we we come to you once again uh, in prayer. Um, Even just considering uh, my brother's prayer, Nathan, just uh, emphasizing the the preservation of your word. And, And as we consider, you know, first... It is God-breathed, all scripture. You spoke, you moved by the Holy Spirit through men of old to record down. And then the saints of old, the, the great cost, the great faithfulness in um, multiplying um, you know, and, and, and copying, making copies of it in translations that we can actually have a Bible that's in English and read it and, and study it and, and have it as our own. We take it home, that we're not having to go to a place to hear the Bible read, but, but we can possess the word of God. But God, on that, um, even if we are a scholar in, in the word of God, if, if we have great intellect in the knowledge of God, we recognize without your Holy Spirit illuminating the truth, the powerful truth of it, we, we can have all that but still not know you. And God, we don't want to be intellects. We want to be smart and be students of the word, but we want to be transformed by the powerful working of your word by your Holy Spirit in our hearts. That is the life of a Christian, and that is what we desire to take place each and every day, and certainly right now, on the preaching of your word. So I ask, please, Holy Spirit, would you give ears to hear and a voice of yours to speak through me as I attempt to preach your word. We trust in your glorious promises to do just that. And we ask with thankfulness to a loving father who is generous. Show favor to your people this morning. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Begin momentarily. <laughs> you guys hear me okay? Sound good? All right. It is great to see. I got that fist up. Excellent. I love it. All right. So most, um, most here know that in addition to serving as a pastor, I also fulfill a role at the hospital performing echocardiograms, which are ultrasounds of the heart. And, and I meet a lot of individuals each and every day on a weekly basis Uh, who are sent my way to investigate the health of their heart. And many I find, and many of them find out their heart is in in good working order, which is welcomed 
uh, peace of mind for them to have, while others have revealed to them that further attention is needed with the possibility of, of intervention by, by various means. Within that full spectrum of outcomes, I have found on both, with the uniqueness of my role there, to bring about many opportunities for ministry with my patients, just in conversations with them each and every time. Um, it's just it's happened over the years, and I'm, I just continue to be blessed and encouraged uh, by that in my life. While at the same time, at the same time, there is also a common occurrence I find to happen that brings great sadness to my heart. It's when comments are made about hoping to get a few more years out of the ticker. I'm not ready yet, they say. I'd like to get a few more things accomplished, you know, under my belt, uh, another five, ten years of living before I die. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm looking at them knowing that no matter how healthy their heart is right now, it's still in the process of dying. And one day will stop to beat or stop beating. But then oftentimes others who are saying the same such things are clearly living in a very uncomfortable state due to their poor health and or age in a constant state of, of discomfort and or um, limitation because of, of poor health or simply just being old and wearied out with age. So when I, when I hear the hope expressed of them of a few more days, a few more years of life in this broken world, but I don't hear in their words the hope of Christ, I'm downcast within every time. I'm just downcast, especially like in those times I'm, I'm looking and I'm probing with questions and, and salty speech, praying that God would, would open a door, open a window of opportunity to speak on deeper things. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So I'm, I'm just left there just like, oh, just sad, just really sad. Because for them... For them, a full life, as in, as in an, an abundant life, is measured by accomplishments, experiences, a certain age number to reach, and that's it. That's it. Things like these, which are not intrinsically bad in themselves, you know, they're not bad, but they are horrible replacements for living for the glory of God and the hope of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The chief end of man is to, you know it, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. So when one's chief end is anything other than that, it falls miserably short. A life as measured by achievements, experiences, acquired wealth, and any sort of worldly riches, even more length of days, lived is a life of failure. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Is this not what, what Psalm 49, 7 through 13 says? 
Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Listen to this. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. But on the contrary to that, on the contrary to that, those whose chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, they can measure the fullness of their lives, the abundance of their lives, by their faithfulness to the Lord. By their faithfulness to the Lord. For the only abundant life, in the truest sense, is a life that is faithful to the Lord, which is the, which is the big idea for today's sermon, that the meaty truth to feast on, a life faithful to the Lord, is an abundant life. Chapter 25 of Genesis, this chapter where God's story of redemption transitions from the unfolding events in the life of Abraham, and like the, the passing of a baton in a relay race, God's story of redemption continues to unfold through the life of Abraham's son, Isaac. And through this chapter, we see three ways this truth is highlighted for us. You could could mark them as gifts. Gifts from God. The first gift to highlight a life faithful to the Lord, being an abundant life, is the gift of children. The gift of children. Our first point, the gift of children. This, this whole chapter really is just dominated by descendants from start to finish. We read through that, right? From Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac. Those are the three kind of the, the, the men, the guys these descendants come from, from verse 1 through to the end of verse 34. The descendants from these men span this chapter. But for the first point, For the first point, we're going to put our focus on verses 1 through 18. 1 through 18 in regards to the gift of children. The chapters preceding chapter 25 tell us that Sarah died and Isaac had taken a wife from Abraham's kindred, right? From Abraham's native land. A a beautiful story that Nathan led us through last Sunday. God's story of redemption continues, and we find in the opening verse of this chapter that Abraham took another wife. He took another wife whose name was Keturah. And we don't know much about Keturah, other than what is provided here in the passage. She bears six more sons to Abraham, whose names are provided here. I'm not going to try to do them again. They, They may also, though, there may also, there may also have been daughters as well. Because sometimes when genealogies are listed in Scripture, it's just the son's names that are provided, right? So that may very well be the case here. But in any event, 
Through her, at least six more sons were born to Abraham. And if you included the grandchildren and great-grandchildren listed here, because they're there, those names are there, it was a total of 16. And again, this is not including any daughters born that would be a part of this family tree. So I did some math once again. It's easy math when it comes to ages. Drawn from the ages provided here and there from, from the chapters we've gone through. Uh, we, know that, we know that Abraham is 10 years Sarah's senior. In chapter 23, we learn that Sarah died at the age of 127 years, which makes Abraham, easy math, 137 years at that time. He himself dies at the age of, towards the kind of midway through here, 175 years, as stated in verse 7. So we have then a a, a 38-year span in which Abraham takes another wife and has more children. And there's no, no passage just provided that gives his age when he took Keturah as wife. So I don't know, maybe it was 140, 145. Regardless, regardless of the exact age, as verse 1 in chapter 24 states it, just the previous chapter, now Abraham was very, or was old, well advanced in years, and still fathering children. Like, that's impressive, right? (laughs) Right? And in the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. But moving on, moving on. Abraham had a very full life. Full life. He's still having kids in his old age. A very full life, an abundant life. And though flawed like ours, his life was faithful to the Lord. Not perfect, but he was faithful to the Lord. And this abundant life of Abraham's experienced the gift of children. Psalm 127, 1 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the the womb, a reward. Like the arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Or in Abraham's case, advanced years also. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The Bible is clear, crystal clear, on the blessings, the gift of children. Unless called and enabled by God to remain single, that you may be fully devoted to the Lord, which is a wonderful life to be sure. So unless that, if, if God provides you with a spouse, Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply. Have children. They are a gift. God's word says it over and over. A heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And there's no precise number given as to the amount, but God's word is clear. Children are a blessing from God. This doesn't mean there is not turmoil and difficulty present. It doesn't say that. It doesn't promise that. Because for sure there is. I mean, for some, the approaching holidays, they're coming up, right? For some, they are a dread because it means gathering with those whom strife and contentions are bound to flare up. This is true for many, maybe even to a degree in your your, uh, families. 
But just because the brokenness of the world and our own hearts, you know, because the, because the effects of sin bring this about, it doesn't change the truth of what God's word says about the blessing of family. God's word stands true. And Abraham, Abraham models something here helpful for us in these opening verses that I don't want us to miss. This is kind of the key for this point. I don't want us to miss this in the gift of children. Abraham, you could say, is Christ-focused. He's Christ-focused. So why do I say that? Verse 5. Verse 5. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Isaac got it all. Son of the promise. Translate to our lives, it's all about Jesus. The seed of the offspring of Abraham through whom God's blessing to all nations would come. From Abraham to Isaac, then Jacob, and all the way to David, and ultimately the birth of God incarnate. God becoming a man, Jesus Christ our Lord, being born of a virgin woman, the son of the promise through whom God's story of redemption would be fulfilled. It's all about Jesus. As a, as a family slogan of one of our church body members here says, hanging on their wall as you, as you enter their kitchen, because of the love of Jesus, dot, 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 like fill in the blank. It's all for him. It's all for him. He, he holds center stage always in our lives, and our lives are oriented around living out the gospel of the grace of God that has saved us and that has rescued us from the wrath to come. It's all about Jesus. Abraham models this. He models this by keeping the son of the promise distinguished from all the other. Not that the others were neglected. No. No, he provided for them. He loved them. Verse 6, gave them gifts. But he made clear, he made clear, ever so clear, that Isaac was the heir. He is the heir, even by sending them, them eastward to the east country. Like, big distinction here, okay? It's all about Isaac. Abraham made clear God's promise through his son Isaac was to be center stage. And in like manner, we are to make the son of the promise, Jesus Christ, center stage in our lives and in our family. For where Christ holds center stage and the gospel is adorned by his people, harmony among them is sure to be present even in the face of life adversities and convictional differences that may exist in a family. One more nugget. One more nugget on the gift of children before we move on. They are Christ formative. Amen? They are Christ formative. Dare I say, few things are more formative in life to Christ-likeness than parenting children. Steadfast love, patience, self-sacrifice, these were, these were mere words I aspired to have exhibited in my, in my life, but knew very little about till they were put to the test like never before and forged into my being through parenting and are to this day. Along with joy, right? 
and gladness and blessing and love. Like these all reach a whole new level, a level on its own as experienced by a parent. We've had some recent bursts. I'm looking at a bassinet, a stroller right now. I'm looking at Eden. She's here, first time. We've had some births that soon have come to place here, and the deets is around the, the edge. That's going to happen like any hour, right? And it's amazing, isn't it? Amazing how instantaneous, how instantaneous love, joy, gladness, and blessing come at their arrival. I mean, it's, it's present at their conception. Like, ah, I'm pregnant. And that's not me, but my wife. You know, I'm pregnant, right? It's there, and it just builds momentum all the way through the pregnancy until you're able to behold their face and hold them for the first time. Man. They're not even my kids and I'm filled with those emotions, right? Only a parent knows what I'm talking about. Children are tremendously formative in Christ-likeness. And dare I fail to mention God working through them to expose the ugliness in your heart. Like sinful behavior you once thought completely overcome by the Spirit of God suddenly shows new life as as buttons are pushed. You didn't know that existed, right? Selfishness and anger being chief culprits in my life. Like what is going on in me? I thought this was dead years ago. Christ formative, sanctifying gift of children. And what we learn about our relationship with our Heavenly Father, because we're the one pushing His buttons, you could say, right? And His steadfast love, his, his faithfulness towards us that is relentless and gentle and tender and tough, constant, unmoved, unchanging. And what a gift that is. What it reveals to us about our Father and also our own heart. It's a gift, the gift of children. Praise God for them. Abraham lived a life faithful to the Lord and therefore had an abundant life that experienced the gift of children. And then verse 8, Abraham breathed his last He breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, verse 9 tells us, they buried him with his wife, Sarah, in the cave Abraham purchased for her. We learned about that a couple weeks back. Verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lehei Roi, you know, like the, the baton is passed, right? This is that's what's taking place. God blessed Isaac. The baton is passed. God's story of redemption continues through this, the son of the promise. And as we move into that continued story, now involving the life of Isaac, we have preserved for us here as if, as if a token reminder of God's faithfulness in coming through with every promise he makes we have preserved for us in Scripture the fulfillment of God's promise about Ishmael made to Hagar back in Genesis 16. At the, coincidentally, at the very place Isaac, right here in verse 11, settles at. Beer, la, hey, roi. Like, that's the same place. That's where that took place, where he made that promise to Hagar. 
It was, a, it was a well, remember? It was a place of a well named such by Hagar because, because God saw her. Remember that? God saw her at this place to which she fled to from the harsh treatment of Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was looking upon her with contempt because she conceived from Abraham when Sarah had not. She's treating her harshly, and, and Hagar fled here, and this is that place. Hagar flees to this well. God sees her, and he makes this promise to her. I will surely, God says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. You shall bear a son. He shall, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. That's a pretty funny description. His hand against, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. More of this promise is revealed in chapter 17, verse 20, that God makes to Abraham regarding Ishmael. The same promise towards the same guy, Ishmael, but who's now 13 at this time. God says, I have blessed him, Ishmael that is, I have blessed him and I, have, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall have, a little detail here, he shall have 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. Verses 12 through 18, right before us here in chapter 25, are the fulfillment of every bit of it. Every bit of it. You'll see in those verses specifically, Ishmael had... 12 sons. Sure enough, no surprise. It's what God promised. 12 princes who settled over where? Against all their kinsmen. Just as God promised. God's promises are fulfilled as they always are. Just as they always are. The the Holy Spirit provides an account of this to remind us and keep this truth fresh in our minds. He who promises is faithful. He will surely do it. That's from 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who promises is faithful. And we have this token reminder here as we're moving along in this story of God's redemption. The next gift to highlight, the next gift to highlight a life faithful to the Lord, being an abundant life, starts off in stark contrast to the first. For, for while good old Abe is still having kids, you know, the gift of children, Isaac and Rebecca are not, right? Rebecca's barren. But from this comes a telling story about the gift of marriage. The gift of marriage for us to receive this morning We'll be looking closely at this in verses 19 through 21. Our second point, the gift of marriage. We likely know this Proverbs well. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The gift of marriage. Nathan spent a good bulk of time on marriage last Sunday in in the story told from Scripture of how Isaac and Rebecca met, how they came to be husband and wife. And I'd encourage you to listen online if you haven't yet. Today, 
some further content is given to provide more insight into their marriage that I believe is very helpful to us in both appreciating the gift of marriage and also living it out in faithfulness to the Lord together. It all stems from verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. A life faithful to the Lord is an abundant life. Can you have a life faithful to the Lord if your prayers are hindered? Can you have a life faithful to the Lord if your prayers are hindered? I believe we all know the answer. No. Which makes 1 Peter 3, 7 so striking to any God-fearing husband. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Listen to this. So that your prayers may not be hindered so that your prayers may not be hindered. The, the blessing of marriage, right? The, the mystical union before God of a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. Two lives brought together as one, distinct but united. The two shall become one flesh. Matthew 19, 5 and 6. What, God, what therefore God, like what God has joined together, let not man separate. A picture of Christ and his bride, right? We see that in Ephesians. His bride, the church. The mystical union before God of a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And I say with confidence in the Lord, a husband and wife, operating faithfully before the Lord in their complementary roles as he has designed them to do is a mighty ministry force to be reckoned with. Is it not? Christ-like, a Christ-like husband sacrificially leading and a wife coming respectfully under that leadership with the support and unique giftings given to her by God to complete the man? is a beautiful thing to behold, first and foremost. You know, two image bearers with equal dignity and worth joined together in that way by God's design are a mighty ministry force to be reckoned with. They just are. And one reflection of that is an effective prayer life. An effective prayer life. Rebecca is barren. Okay, she's barren, and that is saying a lot. That is saying she is, she's not able to have children. Isaac took her to be his wife at the age of 40. It says that very clearly. And the passage also, say, also says, reveals that Isaac is nearing 60 years of age at this time, right? And still, bupkis, like no kids, no kids, no children to show after nearly 20 years of marriage. At this point, at this point, the question is unavoidable in her mind. Like, am I to have children at all? 
That's got to be present. Isaac, likewise, wondering, like, am I ever going to be a dad? I, I'm, I'm the son of the promise. I, he knows the story. It's been told to him. What's going on? For this to move forward, children got to be in the picture. You know, a son in particular, that's necessary. When or, or is this ever going to happen? Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And boom, she conceives. <laughs> she conceives a child. And I would confidently say that Isaac's prayers are not hindered, right? Like, that's not a hindered prayer when he prays for his wife and she conceives. He is living with his wife in an understanding way, showing honor to her who is heir with him of the grace of life. But let's note something, though. Let's note something that I believe to be important. The passage does not say that Isaac began praying to the Lord for his wife when he was 59 years old. doesn't say that, right? There is no time frame identified to when he did. What is known at this point, prior to Rebekah conceiving a child, is that they've been married just shy of 20 years. Where are we at, love? 23, almost like R. They've been married 20 years, nearly 20 years. And that Rebecca has been barren since day one. I'm inclined to think that Isaac's prayers to the Lord for his wife have been taking place for some time. Like, not at, oh, it's been 20 years, we probably should have kids, I'm going to start now. I think that goes way back. I venture to say since early on, maybe, let's say, conservatively, year two, three, maybe five, five years of marriage and no children. No, you know, back then, there's, there's no family planning. Like, you got married, typically, kids start showing up at short afterwards, right? As the Lord would allow. Soon, you would start having kids. So for Rebecca to be barren upwards of 20 years, there, there must have existed an internal strugger, strugger, struggle no different from any married couple today desiring to have children and not having it be so, right? I mean, a, a, recent, a recent dinner share between Marcy and I and Nathan and Vanessa, we thought on this some, we thought on this, and, and believe it or not, there was a time the ability to have children wasn't questioned for the Rices. Like, never would guess that now, but, but early on in their marriage, a couple years pass, no pregnancy. They do, however, during this time, receive news from Vanessa's sister that she's pregnant. Like, there's got to be some strange emotional conflict that are bound to be present, right? Like happy at the, same, at the news, yay! Yet sadly wondering, why not me? Like what's going on? That was a couple of years. We got 20 years here, nearly 20 years. Rebecca is well into the second decade while all along she is receiving announcements from old, you know, her father-in-law, old father-in-law's wife, Keturah, of conceiving children, plural. She's popping out six, and Rebecca's like, what? What? 
I mean, I see Rebecca doing one of these numbers, like, I'm so happy for you, you know, grinding your teeth. I mean, that's got to be a struggle. So for those reasons, I believe Isaac, who is not removed from the, from the emotional turmoil his wife Rebecca must have been going through, and he himself likewise, a husband's not removed from that, right? We, I was just excited to have a child, children, as my wife was. We're not removed from that. So he's there with her, honoring her. And I believe in honoring his wife well, who is heir with him of the grace of life, he did so by not just a one-time prayer and done sort of thing, but rather a regular prayer offered up to the Lord. Isaac prayed to the Lord, as in this was his practice, and steadfastly so, to pray to the Lord for his wife, and as it should be ours. Pray for your wife, man. And pray with your wife. as both. Know your wife in such a way where you know how to pray for her specifically. Where her, where her heart is touched by your prayers. Where she, is, where she is moved with love and gratitude toward God by your words. And she is strengthened and encouraged in her walk with God to fulfill her ministry as your wife, as a mother, in whatever area of influence, vocation that that God has placed her. Pray for and pray with your wife. And pray for your future wife, young men, Yes, you, the youth here. And not just the teenagers, but but all youth whose attention I have in these matters. Pray for your future spouse. As those thoughts come, direct your heart in prayer for them. Ask God to help you, Psalm 119.9, to help you keep yourself pure by guarding your life according to his word. That you would do your best to be ready and prepared to commit your life to another in marriage. And likewise, pray for your spouse to be doing so also. Pray for them to be doing the same thing, that you both would be kept, that you both would be kept for one another alone and receive all the blessings that accompany that. Pray for your future spouse. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The gift of marriage. The gift of marriage, a, a truth to both appreciate and live out in faithfulness to the Lord For when doing so, you'll have an effective prayer life, and by God's design, together, as husband and wife, you will be a mighty ministry force to be reckoned with. And such is an abundant life. And sure to bode, every ministry force will meet its myriad of struggles. (laughs) Will it not? Absolutely. For, and for Rebecca, it begins within her very womb. 
begins early on. And yet, even in these struggles, even in these struggles, our lives can be filled with great comfort and hope in experiencing the gift of God's saving faithfulness, which is our, which is our final and third point. Abundant comfort and hope through the gift of God's saving faithfulness. The gift of God's saving faithfulness. Looking at the remainder of the chapter, verses 22 through 34. So, so hands, hands raised for those here who have been rock-solid faithful all their lives. I, this is awkward. Oh, come on, everyone. Come on, join me. Up. Yeah, right? Like, that's, no one's going to do that. No one's going to attest to that whatsoever. No one's going to claim that. Save one. Save one. Christ our Lord. Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, Christ Jesus remains faithful. He, Christ Jesus, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And praise be to God for this, right? Praise be to God, for if if God's story of redemption depended upon our faithfulness, it would have stopped short long ago. Barely gotten off the ground, if at all. We have an example here. We have an example here of a struggle, a, a mess of lives, you could say, that began even before these brothers were breathing air, okay? You can't get any earlier than that. But this doesn't thwart God's purposes. His story of redemption continues to unfold undeterred by the failures, flaws, and faithfulness of the human agents he works through. That's so awesome of our God. And it does so all the way through to the coming of the faithful one. That is Christ Jesus, our Lord. He alone is faithful. Verses 22 through 34 introduce us to Isaac and Rebekah's twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Rebekah conceives, verse 22, the children struggled within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Like, yay, I'm pregnant, and boo, I'm miserable because of it, right? I mean, Rebecca is hurting here. If it is thus, why is this happening to me? She is in a hurting state. You can hear that in those words. But I love what she does about it. I love what she does about it. She goes, she, so she went, so she went to inquire of the Lord. Like perhaps by influence of her husband, no doubt, right? By influence of her husband, whose habit was to inquire of the Lord on her behalf. In like manner, in like manner, she goes to the Lord in prayer about this struggle. A good influence of Isaac and a good example to us when we encounter struggle. Inquire of the Lord about it. Like, why is this going on? It's a very good question to ask. He answers Rebecca about it. So the struggle taking place in Rebecca's womb here is, 
is really just simply setting the stage for conflict that will span generations, as God foretells in answering her prayer, in Rebecca's prayer. In verse 23, God says this, two nations, two nations will come from her womb, two peoples from within you who shall be divided, which is, not a, which is essentially saying they're going to be against one another. There's always going to be that conflict. The Edomites being one of them. The Edomites, the people of Edom, the name given to Esau's descendants as coined in these verses here. By his, Esau's like red hair is like a red cloak, a furry cloak. I would have loved to see what that picture looked like as a baby. I mean, we can imagine that, right? I'm not sure if I've seen. Anyway, I won't go there. Funny picture, but that's like, of course they're going to name him that, right? It's like, whoa, okay, easy one to name. And they see that immediately when he exits the womb. But then also, when he's older, his, his brutish care for this red stew that was so desperately desired of him that he just carelessly threw up his birthright. Like, I am exhausted. Feed me. He thought that of greater worth than his own birthright. From Esau, the people, you know, the nation of Edom will come. The Edomites, who are frequently seen in Scripture being in conflict with the nation what? Israel. With the nation Israel. Where do we get the, where's the, where does the name Israel come from? We'll learn further ahead in Genesis that it is the name God gave Jacob, right? God gave Jacob. Jacob was told, Genesis thirty-two twenty-eight, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. The conflict between these two nations, the Edomites and the Israelites, started in the womb with Esau and Jacob. And all this to say, all this to say, none of this thwarts God's purposes. None of it. The story of, his story of redemption continues to unfold undeterred by the failures, the flaws, and the faithlessness of his human, or of the human agents he works through. Undeterred. And so it is all the way to the coming of the faithful one, that is, I say again, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King. I mean, right here, you see some of those, like the favoritism shown by parents. Bad idea, you know, Isaac and Rebecca, but they do it. In verse 28, that makes that clear. It makes it known to us. It doesn't thwart it. It causes a lot of havoc, but it doesn't thwart God's purposes. The careless, the careless, and, and just nearsighted living as depicted by what verses 29 through 34 tell us, inform us about Esau's character traits, careless and nearsighted, that doesn't thwart it. Nor does the sly, like right from, the, right from he's coming out of the womb, that's another picture, like, gah, I'm going to get you. Like, it starts now, grabbing his brother's heel. That's so how he gets the name Jacob, heel catcher. His sly, sneaky, conniving behavior that we'll see more of. It marks Jacob's life. It does not, it, it does not prevent God from accomplishing his will. It doesn't. It never does. All these failures, all these flaws and faithlessness, though damaging, we cannot forget that, there is consequences, damaging to relationships with lasting and painful ramifications, but they still do not thwart 
God's purposes. And therefore, our lives may have abundant comfort and hope through the gift of God's saving faithfulness. Because even if we are faithless in our, in our endeavor to be faithful to the Lord, faithful to him, he, Jesus Christ, remains faithful. Faithful to his bride, the church, his bride whom, whom he laid down his life as a ransom, being obedient to the Father's will, to, to the point of death, even death on the cross, which is saying a shameful, it's just the worst, even to that point, to the end, that the bride of Christ, the church of the living God, would be purchased and made pure by his sacrificial blood, fully redeemed and forever secure by the gift of God's saving faithfulness which makes abundantly clear to all that the only abundant life in the truest sense, again, is a life lived for Jesus, the faithful one, he who was faithful and steadfastly so, a life as measured by achievements, experiences, acquired wealth, and any sort of worldly riches, even mere length of days lived, is a life of failure. And all and, and falls miserably short of what it means in the truest sense to have an abundant life. We'll repeat it for when he dies, he will carry nothing away, nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on and, and that he should live on forever and never see the pit, for he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their names. I don't think you get higher than that, right? You start naming lands by you. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Listen, like a life lived for anything but Jesus does not count. It does not count. But praise be to God, I repeat, that even in our endeavors to be faithful to the Lord, that our lives would count. If we are faithless, he, Christ Jesus, remains faithful. And it's this life alone, the life of a Christian, united to Jesus Christ by faith, whose chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, in which every achievement, right? Every achievement, all experiences, whatever wealth acquired, however many days you live, they all exist and serve the culminating purpose of bringing glory to God with everlasting joy. It is only through this life alone that we may, through faith in Jesus, have true abundant life to the glory of God. Let's pray. And Father, God, God Almighty, as I consider just the life of a Christian and that it is a good thing to desire an abundant life. That's not wrong. We want, it is something you have put in our hearts to be full, to be, um, to count, 
to make an impact on this world of yours for your name, for your glory. Help us. Help us, God. Thank you for your faithfulness that when we endeavor, we try, which there is a striving after holiness in the fear of God. There is effort put forth, but only your work, the work of your spirit in our lives brings about anything that is lasting, anything that does count. And so help us by faith. Help us love your word and do it. That we would have indeed abundant lives and not how the world measures abundance, but how you see, how your eyes look upon and say, good, well done, good and faithful servant. We are your servants and we want to serve the most high God with all of our heart and be of good use in your hands. So would you please help us each and every day, help us start off our day with that outlook that, God, we are yours. We belong to you, and that is the greatest comfort, that our life is not our own. And today, there is something you have waiting for me to walk through by faith, to live out to the glory of your name. And it doesn't have to be profound, massive things. It could just be the steadfast constancy of living for you, of being faithful to you as you would bring opportunities to share, to to testify to the grace of God in our life. Help us in all those, all the ways that we do so. Each and every day, being led by your Holy Spirit, being equipped by your word, as your word says. We need your word each and every day to nourish our souls, to equip us for every good work that you've prepared from eternity past for us to walk through. God, thank you. You are truly an amazing, awesome God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.